through this order and see how it go your recording buzz yeah the red light is on all right all right dan are you ready sir i've never been ready and i will never begin to be ready but let's do it anyway <laughs> Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another stunningly well-put-together edition of Third Degree of the Podcast. Hi, my name is Peter, and joining me today are my two amigos. First, all the way from Luton, you know him, you love him, his name is Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Hi, Pete. Uh, just uh, want to say I'm calling in from the pit of despair I got stuck in last week while watching Luton Town play, and then... Watching Unraveled with FC Dallas. Mm, I thought you were going to be sitting in the stands eating a piece of pizza after hitting a hat trick. No, that only happens against us. Ah, okay. (laughs) And then, of course, your hero and mine, you know him and you love him as well. The editor and founder of ThirdDegree.net, the Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Today, my joke was going to be about uh, going down to my corner bar and drinking away my sorrows, but then I remembered all the bars are closed. So that, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, that's not going to help you much. You're going to have to go to the liquor store and take it home with you, yep. Buzz. Yep. All right, guys. Well, I think this is a safe space. Is this not a safe space? Can I admit something to you guys and you won't uh, judge me? Far away. Uh, it is Thursday evening. And I've watched maybe 20 minutes of MLS is back so far. Yeah, it's it's hard to get motivated about it. I did watch all of the Orlando uh, Inter-Miami game because of a number one, uh, Oscar Perea coaching Orlando, of course. And then uh, we have the other Victor Uloa and uh, Teshua Candeli sort of connections. So I did watch that game. It, it was the first game and I was hyped. But then the game this morning, I was had some other stuff going on. And the game this evening, I watched... The first half and the second half, I was on the call with my dad for a little while. And, you know, I just, I just, it wasn't enough for me to rearrange schedule. I'm not that interested. I'm only casually interested. All right. I can count on the good Dan Crook to have like totally just bathed his entire existence in all, every minute of MLS is back so far. Right, Dan? We can count on you for that, right? Right? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh. No, I watched like half of the Orlando game and then. I watched most of the New York Philly game this morning just really because it timed out with work that I could have the game up on one monitor and work up on another two. Uh, I was going to watch the game this evening, but Univision, in their infinite wisdom, put that terrible fake crowd noise, which had a lot of whistling going on. So I uh, resisted the temptation to throw my TV out the window and just turned it off. All right, so um, I'm going to guess that it probably doesn't bode well that three guys who spend as much time watching or consuming and thinking about Major League Soccer uh, have not watched a lot of this is uh, not a great deal. And I'm wondering how much of that is a reflection of an overall attitude about the tournament and how much of that is uh, the fact that our team that we or uh, you know, pledged our allegiance to is not even in the damn thing. 
Well, for me, it's certainly a combination of both. Uh, plus, there's a lot of games coming in a fast window. It's, it's going to be impossible to watch all of them. Um, and definitely with SC Dallas being off, my interest has dropped considerably. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll casually watch other MLS get, games from time to time, especially if I see what I think is a really good matchup or an exciting matchup. Uh, one funny note about the the fake crowd noise today, Dan, is I was listening to the secondary audio program in the English language on Univision. The sport channel there, and when the game started, they didn't have it on. And then, like a minute in or something, there was like this big click pop, and all of a sudden, it was loud, and the crowd was loud and drowning out the commentators. They had forgotten to turn it on at the start of the game. It's like so. It was like, oh crap, we forgot the fake crowd noise. Turn it on, turn it on. And I literally flipped the sap back and forth just to make sure that I was like, what just happened? Why am I being drowned out by all this crowd noise all of a sudden? You can totally see some interns scrambling across the room to go press a button or something or pull up some sort of menu on a computer screen. You can yeah. probably also see uh, someone at MLS emailing them immediately. Hey, uh, we agreed not to do this. Can you stop? Yeah, they. it's interesting the way they've got it set up. You know, that uh, field they're playing on is adjacent to the arena inside where the NBA will be playing, and then there's... And so, uh, Dan, I think you told us you told us off uh, before we started recording. They're going to have three different fields going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I didn't realize until uh, I think it was Steve Goff put it on on Twitter earlier today that that there were multiple fields. Yeah, there's. I think there's a total of fifteen fields at the complex. I can't remember if it's ten or fifteen. I've been there before. It's really nice. Um, uh, there are two fields that are next to each other, which are next to the arena, which have grandstands. They're not big ones. I I would say each field couldn't hold more than 500 people. Um, but they're the only ones out of all the fields that have stands with covers on them. And when you're watching this, that's what's behind those blue walls that they keep putting all the, the advertisements on top mm. of. Um, it is some uh, bench seating uh, underneath cover. And man, boy, MLS has gone out of their way to figure out every particular way to throw in an advertising position uh, in this broadcast. The, the, like, there's like two or three different walls of advertising, the giant Adidas logo on the middle of the field. Um, and I think I'm right in saying that most every team has two different sponsors, one for each sleeve to go along with the, jer- the main jersey sponsor now, too. And DC United even has the back of their short sponsored as well. Wow. Wow. Somebody gave me a note that, uh, that that each team gets to include one local sponsor too into the whole overall thing to try and make really? up for like the lost TV deals. Hmm. Did we have any idea what Dallas had in store uh, for their jerseys and shorts or anything? Um, if oh. in fact, if they had played, no, I don't. Crap, have a crap, have a crap, have a crap. Advocate, yeah. What did you a, just say, Dan? A, that was weird. A big giant advo like... crap, advo crap, and advo crap. Oh, okay. All right. I thought you were singing like an old coal miner song or something. I don't know. That was weird. All right. Well, uh, since the last time we did this pod, as anybody who's listening to this is a obviously a fan of the club knows, uh, your beloved FC Dallas is not in the tournament. They were removed. A couple of days after the last time we did this podcast, uh, they had gotten up to 10 players and a staff member. Yeah, it was 10 right? when they were removed. It was six when we did the podcast. And then they had, you remember, we had to tag it with that extra little piece. Oh, it yeah. Broke I had to while cut the we were recording, prelude. basically. Yeah, because 
yeah. or after right afterwards or something. Yeah, we yeah. had recorded early, like mid at late afternoon, oh, yeah. and then I was uh, we was. were getting ready to edit it. Or no, I had finished editing it. Yeah, and then I had to go back and add the prelude to it because they had announced more players, and so yeah. You know, the plan was, uh, you know, for them to figure out how Dallas was going to participate in this. And then it just got to a breaking point. And I'm what I'm still not clear on, Buzz, is and, and I'm not sure anybody's being honest about this. Uh, Dan Hunt called into the hard line on the ticket on Tuesday. Corby asked him this question. I've kind of heard it asked in different ways. And what I'm still not clear on is, did the FC Dallas players and or staff say hey look this just isn't fair we haven't practiced for a week this and this is only probably going to get worse we're just can we just get out of it or did major league soccer tell them they couldn't play or does anybody know how that actually fell out well in the end i'm sure the final decision was made by don garber and the hunts Uh, but lucci today was very adamant that it wasn't about um COVID specifically in the sense of like that they're worried about more people getting in contact because of when they use the protocols and have people isolated, they're saying, uh, everyone's saying it's not a problem. And that and Lucy was very clear. And, and I've said this before too, that they had plenty of players left. Like last week it was 18 right now, worst case scenario right now it's 17. That's still enough to play. So Lucy was very, very adamant that this was about the health of his players in terms of injury because they can't train they can't get fit and they can't be game sharp and they can't be ready. And basically he said, we would not be prepared to play a professional game and we can't do that. And then have guys go out there and blow in knees and rupture in hammies and all this kind of stuff because we're not prepared to play a professional game. So um, I think the impetus came from FC Dallas. I really do that. They just felt like they, their inability to train for the, what would have been two weeks leading up to their first game locked in their rooms made it impossible for them to conduct their end of a tournament. Yeah, that's an interesting angle, and it seems very honest and understandable. Uh, But when Nashville was pulled out to earlier today, the the Nashville coach or front office, whoever was making the statement, seemed very adamant that they wanted to play still. Um, But MLS told them, "Yeah, no, you're up to nine, and it's just going to get worse from here." Well, there's there's a difference there. Nashville haven't been on a like on a full team quarantine. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they haven't been shut in the hotels for nine days right. and counting like Dallas yeah. has been when they I mean, were pulled. Um, on, on the uh, call that Dan Hunt had immediately after the news came out, he said um, on Wednesday, so when those, uh, those last set of tests uh, came out, that they'd started talking to the league and that was the discussion. The, if, if the team was going to be locked down and couldn't train, then you know it was just going to be a case of injuries. There wouldn't be the you know required depth so he did say the the final decision was mls um but yeah it definitely sounds like fc dallas kind of came in with things um you know nashville saying that the players still wanted to play uh, i'm sure the fc dallas players still wanted to play but you know that that's why you have a coaching staff and a te- you know a full technical staff to say hey you're good hey you're not let's let's not go and blowing Achilles or an ACL right. and, and ruin the next year of your life. Yeah, Lucci no. even mentioned that they've had guys that have been cleared from like uh, that list of now 11 players. Some of them have, are now negative on our back in the regular wing of the hotel. And it's, <laughs> so it's, it's actually more yeah. than 17 players available. It's just 17 is the worst case. 
and yet you know. they're still all just stuck in their room at this yeah, point. Yeah, but different wings, you know, uh, you know. So not that that makes it any better. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll talk. To, we'll, ta- we'll talk about that in a little bit. I do want to go back to one thing that you that that was talked about. Dan has talked about this, and I think Lucci's talked about it. Uh, Dan Hunt, that is, uh, that that Lucci and the club wanted to get to Orlando as early as possible. And my my thinking about that is, I hope nobody's thinking that that was a bad decision because I, I am of the impression that if that. You know, getting the team isolated into a place like that probably would have reduced the chances of them getting exposed versus whatever the team and the roster players were doing prior to getting on a plane uh, and, and, you know, and heading to Orlando. Because what it's very clear, I think we're all in agreement, that that's where this outbreak within the club started. Wasn't once they once they got to Orlando, it was all whatever any whether it was one yeah. person or multiple people were doing in their free time before they got on a plane. Yeah, when they have two guys test the first two guys test positive on arrival and like six in the, in the first three days, that's all pre-exposure. That's all here. So like all this would have happened here. You know, it doesn't make a difference that they went early in that sense. I mean, we would have the same number of cases. Yeah, There's and the other thing. Oh, I'm, go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. I was going to say it was definitely an element of timing. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of teams. Uh, three teams only arrived two days ago. That have had an inconclusive or a positive or a, you know a false positive in like the day in those uh, that 72 hour period where they have to do two tests and then they've delayed the flights for a few days, retested everyone, and tried to really. You know, we talk about that five to seven day period and they've tried to really get as much of that as they can. Um, you know, FC Dallas didn't have that. They had the, the tests from the the uh, the week before, those, those two tests, uh, Pico and Sylvania. Sylvania was obviously ready to travel. Pico stayed away from the group and never traveled. So, you know, as far as they were concerned, they were good. It's just, you know, it was, it was a little bit unfortunate that other teams you know, had those inconclusives or false positives or, or legitimate positives that they could then know to delay travel and not turn isolation into, you know, like the, the old fashioned chicken pox party. Well, uh, you know, I, that is one of the great frustrations about all of this that's not limited to Major League Soccer. Uh, Joey Gallo with the Texas Rangers tested positive twice and then tested negative twice, and that all happened within the span of 10 days. And it was two different type of tests. The, the two positive tests uh, came from a saliva test that the uh, league was running, and then the negative test came from a nasal uh, swab afterwards. So, uh, you know, it's and I'm sure this is going on within MLS too, which is false positives and all of this type of stuff. But the other news we did get today, Buzz, that you can help out with is that Dallas did get more positive tests today on Thursday the 9th. Yeah, over the last three days, they've had um, one more coach and one more player test positive. The player, uh, I'm very, very confident the player was today. The coach, was, I believe, was either on the 7th or the 8th. So, uh, you know, that's enough time that we're at or over a week from when they first they last trained, which was that Monday when they arrived, the 29th. So, you know, it's possible there's some false positives happening. There's possible there's some cracks in the quarantine. You know, it's hard to really know at this point. It's just, it's clear that they're not out of the woods yet. And there definitely is still some troubles, even though, you know, and, and again, 
what do we all really know about this thing? I mean, even the guidelines are just guidelines. We're still learning all the time about how this thing is dissolving, excuse me, evolving and, and changing. And, and, and we barely, we, we think there's a seven day list wait on when exposure to test, but maybe, maybe it can be nine. Maybe, you know, it's clearly it's, they're not out of the woods yet. And, and, and it may, the problem with the test today is that, um, I think they have to wait at least a week of negatives before they can travel as a group back because we originally had heard the 15th and that was a week after their last round of positive tests back on uh, the seventh, uh, give or take a couple of days ago. So like they were supposed to have a week of, of no, actually the last positive was on the third. Now that I think about it. So you're right. I think it's two weeks. They were going to be there the third to the 15th. So now these new tests mean they might be there till the 20 something. God, yeah, I, I, I was I swear in the course of the last two days, I've read somewhere two things. One, that they have made the decision that Dallas will only go back to town when they can all go together. And two, that can't happen until 14 days after the That'll last be the positive person tested positive or negative or whatever it is. Yeah, it's a it's a and and man, it just makes you feel terrible for all the guys, but I got to tell you, I got to feel, I feel a really special level of concern and empathy for the, you know, that half or majority of the squad that have tested negative and, and didn't, you know, they've done absolutely nothing wrong. Um, and they, they're, they're literally locked in a hotel room by themselves for all this time. And that's got to be absolutely maddening. Yeah, there's a there's a phase of your life, most people's lives, I think, where you have to learn how to entertain yourself when you're going to be on your own from some for some job or for whatever. Most people go through it at some point or another. And these guys, the older guys, I'm sure have by now in their life. But these young guys, some of these guys that are between the age of like 16 to 22, you know, some of those guys have never had anything like this probably in their life. So it's going to be a real life test for some of these kids, honestly. I don't know if you saw, but uh, yesterday they were allowed to go for a jog as a team uh for you know and to, just to be out of their rooms for the first time in in over a week and then today they're allowed to just uh you know have like a an actual walk and and some uh, some true leisure time and you know they look like little kids in a candy shop uh especially cobra because cobra is uh you cobra. know is is everyone's spirit uh, spirit animal and a kid in a candy shop <laughs> Yeah, I saw that. I, I saw the video, and and a lot of the social media they've been putting out of late has been uh, pretty uh, anywhere from a real bummer to a pretty hilarious. Uh, and again, you feel bad for all those guys because it, it all of this uh, work and effort they put in to get to this point, only to get there and have to sit and watch everybody else get to play, is kind of a bummer. Now we also mentioned that Nashville uh, got up to nine people. Uh, tested positive they were removed from the tournament today and kind of in a weird twist that actually fixed a problem for the league because it's hard to have a bracket with 25 teams but it's wicked easy when you got 24 which is where they're at now so through no fault of their own poor Chicago now has to trash all of their plans tactical and otherwise for the teams they had been planning on playing for the last uh, however long and now are in Dallas's position and now have to have five days to figure out how they're going to handle Seattle, a team that they never planned on playing anytime soon. Uh, so it, no matter what Major League Soccer decided to do in terms of handling the scheduling and the rescheduling of the bracket, some 
somebody was going to be upset. And unfortunately for Chicago, uh, that fell to their feet. Yeah, it's unfortunate they didn't make the decision on Nashville one day earlier. Then they could have drawn lots to see who moved. But now that that group's all played games except for Chicago, so there was no choice. I mean, it's it's the only choice available of a bunch of bad choices. So, it's you know, they had to do what they had to do. Yeah, I thought maybe if the league had just said on the on, before the tournament started, hey, look, if any team has to be removed from the tournament due to COVID, then any team they were scheduled to play against is just automatically a win. I think that would have made the most sense. Now, certainly in Dallas's group's case, that would have been one of two problems. The teams that were in the group were like, well, now we only get two games or the teams in that group that only played two games advanced into the knockout rounds and their opponents were bitching. Well, now we're having to play a team that's only played two games. Yeah, So there was no really good, clean way to do it. Maybe this is the best. I don't know. Uh, Everybody will have a a reason to bitch one way or the other. I want to make sure everybody understands, at least from my standpoint, I don't know how you guys feel about this. I am really rooting for this to work. I am a, I tend to fall on the side of the ledger that we need to get things restarted in this country to a degree along with all of the safety protocols and making sure we're doing it in the smartest way so I was very much for Major League Soccer figuring this out and making it work but I gotta tell you some of the decision making that has taken place and it's easy for me to criticize sitting here in my chair talking you know into my computer um, it without any like without the vast amount of all the things that went into this I just there are certain aspects to how this tournament has been put together that I just scratch my head and go why are they doing it this way like why could they not figure out how to fix this and I'm not sure if it's just somebody in the front office's fault or if the the blame literally does lie across all equal parts the players association the league the teams and the ownership yeah for me I think the only thing you could have done was to have everybody come in and lock down everybody for two full weeks completely complete lockdown of everybody but you know the players didn't want that the coaching staffs didn't want that they wanted to be able to train they wanted to be with their families and i totally get that but that means everyone was exposed so the only way you could have pulled it off flawlessly would have been a complete arrival and a complete lockdown for two weeks for everybody which would have of course made for bad soccer you would have had to then had two or three weeks of training and so now all of a sudden Players are in Orlando for over a month before they even play the first game. So expenses, family time away, you know, I can see why it didn't happen that way. Yeah, um, asking players and and coaches to be away from the families for, you know, the original proposal was 10 weeks. That's that's excessive. Um, Okay, but wait a second. Is it excessive? The NBA is locked up in Orlando for like three months. I mean, they're getting paid significantly more than MLS players. Like, and yeah, well, ten weeks okay. is two and a half. Say that again. Ten weeks is two and a half months. That's close to three months. Would have been similar. Yeah, I, I, I mean, okay. I, I like the problem is- you've also got is you, you know when you look a step deeper, the players don't necessarily want to have this tournament, but they want to get paid. It, it's they they need to get paid. I mean, you know, you think most MLS players don't earn a crazy amount of money. They may be on like the low six figures, as tons that are you know in five figures. They're not 
they they need to earn a wage. They need to support their families still. They are, you know, in terms of professional major sporting competitions, the closest thing to the, the average person. Yeah, I there's just so many aspects of this and you know, the players not, you know, trying to make this tournament as short as possible and the ownership uh, uh, the, their liability and all of this. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't think any one particular group is to blame. I think it all just gets laid out evenly and smoothly across the the whole lot of them, um, and we end up getting what we're getting. and And hopefully, it works out. and 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 they don't have to remove another team. I guess uh, time will tell about that. You know, one of the real frustrating and almost maddening aspects to this um, has been the really unfortunate spate of um, negative press. And we'll just use Dallas as the, the most uh, obvious example because it really started happening today where players themselves are coming out on social media and calling out media members for speculating about how things happened or blame. I, I think it started this morning with Jimmy Maurer uh, pointing a finger specifically at Taylor Twellman. Um, and then several other players spoke up and then, you know, Taylor Twellman had to put his tail between his legs and kind of put a mea culpa up on Twitter. Um, one, of, one of you guys kind of explain the, the, the history behind that for us. Well, sure. The there was sort of a narrative developing um, from various sources of some of not very good repute, but then often re- repeated uh, up to the point where Taylor Tubman was saying something this morning about uh, the narrative being that Dallas players had somehow been irresponsible, that they had uh, you know been going out when they shouldn't or doing things they shouldn't, and um, you know, it's by no means definitive, but I've checked with all the people that I know that are willing to give me info, and I'm not getting any information that that is indeed the case. I'm not hearing about parties or guys going out to bars or fingers being pointed. I'm not hearing any of that. Um, again, that's not definitive, but I definitely don't feel like there's some irresponsibleness from individual players, you know, there's just sometimes things go wrong in terms of the overall protocols. And the, the one we can point our finger out to the most obviously is the fact that when they arrived on Saturday, uh, whatever that was, the 27th, I think, they tested players. But because there's a delay of a whole day till you get results, they trained the next day in the morning. And one of the players that popped that first day trained in that session. He's clearly visible in the B-roll of that session. And then they get a positive result. Now, we also know there's an incubation period. So, you know, for two players to test positive that first day, that means that they had been exposed and were exposing the team for anywhere from five to seven days. So, you know, it, it's Long not before like, they got on a plane to before, go to Orlando. Yeah, way before they got on a plane to go to Orlando. So it's not like, you know, the breakdowns in these protocols and the things that are going wrong, it's not like Dallas players are different than other players around the United States. These guys are all the same. You know, there's not, it's not like Dallas lacks discipline or has irresponsible players. So that's what Jimmy Meyer was clapping back about Alan Taylor. And and some other people echoed the same thing was you're being ridiculous. We didn't do anything different than anybody else. We followed the protocols just as they are supposed to be. And Lucci was adamant about that today and defended his guys on the radio. You know, it's like. That's the thing as well. Like, you know, we're very clear in saying about the incubation period and stuff like that. That's, That's our responsibility to, you know, present it fairly. Um, when you got like guys like Twelman, they they kind of overlook that. So you've got this whole crowd of people that think 
the guys that got that tested when they got off the plane they got COVID on the plane. The guy that tested the next day got it the next day. That it's this immediate thing, and it it isn't. It's it's a virus. It's not, you know, it's not someone spat on your face and there's saliva coming down your down your cheek. It's not, you know, it's something that 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 takes time and has that that, you know. I know the minimum is two days, but still, you're looking five to seven days. Extreme cases fourteen. So, you know, people then in turn go oh well they obviously went out and then you get this whole rumor that they went out to two bars and one of them isn't even in orlando that's just some idiot on twitter trying to trying to get uh you know somehow relevant and it all just it all boils down from there and then there was another thing about a going away party the only going away party they had was the supporters send-off which half the teams in the league did the same thing and Trust me, there was no nobody got within six feet of anyone because I was there. It was all very, you know, above board and uh, and and regulated. So, you know, it just it's kind of like the whole uh, the whole fake news thing, right? Just uh, leaving out certain details to spread disinformation. Well, uh, just let me say this. Uh, I've been in the broadcasting business for a long time, and, and I appreciate the fact that Taylor Twellman is trying to convert himself from athlete to broadcaster, and he's very green, and he's very new at this. But at this point, I consider him to be a broadcasting house of cards. He uh, has consistently, over the last few years, run fast and loose with the information that he gathers. He sometimes tends to pass it off of his, as his own insight or genius. He, I, he did this to me specifically uh, a couple of years ago where he took something I put out and then reused it as his own. And when I called him out on it, um, his response was to block me on Twitter. So, um, I, you know, hearing what he did today uh, does not surprise me, and I'm hoping somebody at ESPN is paying attention because, uh, you know, uh, too much more of this is going to end up costing people, um, and, and not just him, uh, because I think he's got a lot of promise, and I think he could be really good at this, but he's got some journalistic ethics stuff that he, somebody needs to grab him by the shoulder and teach him some things because this is not the first and it's not the fifth. It's uh, There's been multiple times where Taylor's been been caught in this weird thing where he says something on television and it kind of blows up in his face um and uh and today was a perfect example of that and i, I also want to say his kind of like mia culpa that he posted on twitter was total crap and bullshit unto itself it wasn't even like a real apology it was like oh jimmy and i got together and had a conversation and he's a real good guy and uh but if you were reading between the lines, it was like, oh, crap, another player called me out, and I realized I shouldn't have said what I said. And so here's my somewhat apology for it uh, without me actually apologizing, which probably says more about Taylor Twelman than anything else I just said about him. Yeah, he definitely didn't back off of his uh, irresponsible players. I mean, he did say that he felt bad for everybody. I, you know, I, I, I'm just not buying this irresponsible players garbage. I, you know, I think – People around this team are doing everything they can, following all the league protocols to be involved in play. These guys wanted to play so badly. I don't think they would have been done doing anything reckless. And I certainly, none of my sources are saying they were, for what that's worth. 
Well, no, and we all know that it only takes one person, right? And and I think if we go back and think about the timeline of what's happened with this club, we all know there was originally one person way back on June the 3rd that tested positive. Now, what we don't know is, you know, was that the original domino or did he test positive? They got him away from everybody and everything was clean for another couple of weeks and then somebody else got tested positive and passed it around to the other nine people who eventually ended up testing positive uh, in Florida um, up until the point they got removed from the tournament. Um, and and again, that could be a teammate. It could be a coaching member. It could have been, you know, somebody that worked in the, you know, in the, it could have been a janitor that was working at the stadium. You know, it could have been anything. So who knows how this happened? That was, that was definitely uh, something that Lucha brought up on, on uh, on the radio show you know he was talking about you know these are guys that live in multi-generational homes they all have families that you know they can be as as professional and as careful as they want but you know it's a virus that you can put your hand on the wrong surface touch your face and then you know a couple of days later um you know they can't unfortunately control everything the only way they could have really is uh, you know, having like an in-market quarantine, which, you know, the league did want to do. They wanted to have a week. The players' union rejected it. Um, I, I guess for the uh, the insinuation that, hey, we can we can be responsible ourselves and we'd still like to be around our families. And, you know, there's nothing, like Buzzer, there's nothing to say they haven't been responsible. Yeah, it would have taken a two-week complete lockdown to solve it, you know, solve it completely. You know, and right. there was a two-week gap between that first test and when the next guys tested. So it's probably not likely that it was from the original one. But again, what who are we to know? Really, a lot of this was still, you know, we're as, we're as, we're reaching for reasons and trying to logically put things together in our own minds as well as anything. And but I don't I don't buy the irresponsible player argument. I just don't. I think they follow all the protocols. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about Lucci because we've seen and heard a lot from him lately. He's been kind of making the rounds on doing some video conferencing. He had his own radio show again, and uh, I think I've, I've, I don't know if I said this on the last pod or not, but uh, every time I see him, I'm reminded of uh, that time uh, after, I, that time with uh, Oscar Perea in the days after Fabian Castillo went AWOL, where he was just, he was so clearly dejected and defeated and frustrated and mad, and that's the exact same vibe I'm getting from Lucci uh, in any of these interviews I've seen lately. Yeah, a week ago he was dejected, and then midway through the week he was starting to get a little fired up, and he got really passionate when somebody asked him about you know, various reports that were being out there. And then today he was really uh, defensive of his team and his players and really emotional about you know the, their, how much they wanted to play and what an opportunity they're missing and and how they're going to try and use this situation now as a test and a chance for them to become mentally tough and resilient and try and build from it and try and use it. So um, he's a good leader, I think, Lucci. I, I wanted to mention in this podcast somewhere that you know some among the people I talk to, I, I hear stuff um, from various sort of sources. And one of the things I've heard this week was that um, both for a lot of credit and praise for Lucci Gonzalez and for Andre Zanata, that both had been really responsive to the players and really responsive to families and really responsive to loved ones and, and doing a lot of communicating and a lot of leading and really trying to rally the troops down in Orlando and really trying to keep the team together and keep everybody positive. So 
um, you know, a roundabout way. I'm not there, but I'm, I'm hearing really good things about the leadership of this club, not the ownership, the leadership. And, and uh, I wanted to give those guys a little bit of credit today. Um, one of the things that I think has never been really clear, uh, been cleared up, and and uh, Dan Hunt called into the hard line on the ticket on Tuesday, and Corby asked him this question. Uh, just for clarity, I told Corby to ask the question. Um, is uh, the following, which was, uh, could you could could anybody uh, definitively define if FC Dallas just said, "Hey, look, uh, we're just gonna can we get out of this because we haven't practiced, we don't want to put people in danger of getting injured, and the odds are we're just gonna have more positive tests moving forward," or did Major League Soccer, by and large? Uh, or did Dallas say, no, 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 we want to play when we want to play. And major league soccer said, no, 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 you're not going to play and pulled him out of the tournament. And that Dan, when Dan, uh, got that question, he kind of danced around it and really put the, the, he really put the blame, not the blame. He, he, he said it was really major league soccer's decision, but based on what I'm hearing and what I've heard you guys say, there was a lot of kind of lean, there was kind of an attitude within the club and the players and the coaching staff that like, look at this point, it would not be fair or safe for us to go and try to play in a soccer tournament. Yeah. Lucci was very clear about that today. I mean, I've said before that I'm pretty sure the decision was the ultimate decision was made with the hunts and Don Garber, but there definitely was a push from FC Dallas and it's staff um, in the sense that, and I don't mean the players, I mean the staff, that at this point they've been in lockdown in their rooms for over a week and it would have been two weeks by the time they played. And so you're talking about, and and Lucci was very clear about this today. He said, when we say we're worried about the health and safety of our players, we don't mean like this COVID testing. We mean on the field health and fitness, because if we sit in hotel rooms for two weeks and then tried to play a professional game, we're going to be, we're not going to be prepared for that game. We're not going to be prepared in fitness. We're not going to be prepared in sharpness. We're not going to be able to run our systems and guys are going to get hurt. You're going to see blown ACLs. You're going to see torn hamstrings. It's, it would be irresponsible for us to try and play after sitting in hotel rooms for two weeks and not being able to train. So that was the, why Lucci says they pushed to be out from his perspective. Now, were there other factors? I'm sure there were many, but it was interesting to see him clarify that today on the radio. Yeah, and that just echoed what Dan Hunt had said on the uh, call immediately after, uh, you know, they were withdrawn. Um, you know, and like uh, on the ticket, he kind of danced around and kind of put it on MLS overall as the final decision, but. You know, it's like uh, a player coming back from injury, right? They they train, they kind of build up to play in a game. They may sub into games. They don't, you know, if you're sitting around for 10 days, you you can't run. You go out and try and play 90 minutes, you can guarantee your hamstrings go in an ACL or something. Those fast twitch fibers kind of need bringing to life. It's not something that you can just, you, you can just do in a day or two. So, uh you know, I guess when you look at it, they get to make up the three games. Uh, you know, because, I mean, God forbid something like uh, Hara or Cobra blow an ACL and they're out for the season. That does a whole lot more damage than, than sitting out this tournament. Yeah, and we and again, that's probably the one weird thread that's hanging out there that's uh, nobody really quite understands is how they're going to handle Dallas and Nashville being out of the tournament since the games in the group stage was supposed to count towards the final standings and in theory uh, regular play in home stadiums is going to pick back up somewhere, you know, in August or September. I I I to be honest with you, I have no idea 
how the league handles that change in all of this. Because I don't, you, you, you can't ask, because now that you've got two teams out, it's not like Dallas could just go back and play Seattle and San Jose and uh, who was the third team? I forgot. Vancouver. Vancouver uh, at some later date, because now those teams all have Chicago as an opponent. So, and then it also seems even more janky to have Dallas and Nashville play each other three times sometime in the near future. So, <laughs> that's what'll happen. I, is that what's going to happen? <laughs> I, I mean, if you want to talk about some some kind of balanced schedule, that's the games that are being. I mean, listen, the the honest, honestly, the whole back end of the season is still up in the air. If they can't pull off this tournament, there's not going to be any home games after that. You know, it's like what what the schedule looks like and how they manage to put the schedule together is going to depend largely on how successful this tournament is in terms of being able to play games and not people have people not get sick. Yeah, I always thought the idea of the tournament was really secretly genius because it's almost like that season of television where the writers say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to finish off this particular season. We're going to write it so that if they cancel us, at least it looks like we've we finished the story. <laughs> and you get a team into the CONCACAF Champions League. Right, and so yeah. if they had gotten through the tournament and they found somebody to win MLS back the tournament championship, you could make them the champion and not finish out and not play another game, right? Yeah, you sure. Could, you could figure that. You could you could figure out how that would work, and now that's potentially what could happen just without two of their teams in the tournament, which would be you know real bummer. I just but if they do continue to go forward and play games after the tournament and home stadiums. I'm really confused how they sort out the rest of the the fact that they've got a team. They've got two teams, arguably, with three games in hand. And who they're going to play or how they're yeah. going to do it. And it does make me wonder, maybe they take Nashville and Dallas and say, all right, you two are going to play each other three times over the course of, I don't know, two weeks, and we're going to make you go play it in Montana or someplace where the COVID thing's really low and there's one field they can play at and two decent hotels. Well, they're definitely not going to do that because they've already said Nashville will be an Eastern Conference team for the remainder of the year and the there won't be any in, in a, uh, intra-conference games. So likewise, now Chicago is a Western Conference team for the rest of 2020. I thought they said oh Chicago was an Eastern team still. No, they they change it so they're now Western Conference. Wow! Oh, Brimstone Cup. Play Chicago more. <laughs> Listen to Mud yeah. <laughs> Squirrel yeah. Brimstone Cup. Play Chicago yeah. ten times. Yeah. So I I don't know. I have no concept of how this is all going to play out, and I know everybody's doing the best they can, uh, and and with limited resources and all of those things. Uh, but man, it's just uh, it's it's so weird to see uh, see this all happen in unprecedented times, as they say. Um, so uh, okay, so I guess we've all decided that maybe our interest in MLS is back as a tournament is now uh, watered down a little bit because FC Dallas is out of it. Um, I guess we'll watch a few of the games here and there and continue to to keep up at uh, up at it. But for those of you, since the both of you watched a little bit of either, has anything uh, anything really caught your eye? Has the quality of the game been better or worse than you anticipated? I I think it's I, I want to say it's worse, but I don't think it is worse. I think it's pretty much what I anticipated. It's not great. It reminds me of you know late '90s, early '00s MLS. I think. You know, MLS has progressed past that now. You know, the, the biggest complaints I had were 
touches were a little loose. Maybe guys are a split second late getting the ball out from under their feet and moving, particularly with Orlando's team. I was like, well, Poppy's going to be all over that. But, uh, you know, it was, it's not terrible. As somebody said to me, this was a bad game of soccer. And I'm like, yeah, but it's pro soccer. You know, it's like, I, I, I'll take it. I, you know, I need it. So I'll be watching some of it, you know, not every, all of it, but more of it, you know. It it's just looks horrible. like preseason football. Yeah, it does. That's a good analogy. It does look like preseason football. <laughs> well, and 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 we were going back and forth about this on Twitter. Those morning games, the humidity in Florida. I just I can't press upon anybody that's never lived in Florida just how absolutely soul sucking uh, the weather can be. And it's weird because you'd think at, you know, four in the afternoon is the worst part of the day. It's not. It's first thing in the morning up until about 1130. The humidity and the dew point uh, in Florida is so off the charts. It's like running in and breathing invisible pudding. It's I mean, the let, worst. Let's, let, let's narrow that down because, you know, a lot of people go to like Miami or somewhere like that where it's you know, comparatively arid compared to uh, to to Orlando, where you you yes. are constantly just surrounded by cloud. Yeah, no, you're right. There are different parts of Florida, but it, it specifically in Orlando and and Central Florida and that stuff, it is oppressive. It's like Houston. Uh, it's Houston times three, though, dude. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's I'm it's. With you. Uh, it's it's really bad. I and I and I said this on Twitter. I would rather play in Frisco on any hundred degree day versus a you know Tuesday morning in Orlando when it's ninety degrees and seventy seven uh, uh, a dew point of seventy seven degrees. It's just I it's just awful. And I I was thinking about that game this morning and I saw uh, I guess somebody had to go somebody went down in kind of an exhaustion during a water break and he just looked totally spent at that first water break. And then of course I thought about Edwin Giassi at the same time too, because that's exactly what happened to that dude when he started yeah. that game in Orlando a few years, a couple of <laughs> years ago is that he got 20 minutes or 30 minutes into that game in Orlando. And that cat was toast. Yeah. He said, screw this. I'm done. Set now. <laughs> oh, my leg hurts. I'm yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. And while I was mad with mad at him at the time, I totally understood where he was coming from. Yeah. He's like that eight year old that just sits down and starts picking flowers in the middle of the game you know that yeah. one yeah okay well anything else about this that we need to get into either related uh on the tournament level the league level or specifically with dallas that we haven't talked about just specific to the tournament at this point that anybody wants to touch on i don't think i have anything else other than i just wanted to reiterate that they had plenty of players left available you know lucci said today that they had guys that have been cleared to go back to the regular group they're still in quarantine but they're back with the normal group so they've sort of recovered. so somebody that tested positive now yeah. tested negative, now negative. Could have been yeah. available. so right. okay. worst case scenario if, if everyone that's been positive is out they still have 17 players and lucci even said they've gotten some back so it's not a question of bodies they could have gotten it done on that uh, in that regard but um, you know, it's some, it's not that, and I think it's important to understand that it's not like it's, they, they didn't, they didn't withdraw because they couldn't field a team. No, no, no. They could easily fill a team and I feel a pretty damn good team. Cause there's only like three starters so far that got hit, not including the goalkeeper, which makes four. Hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, has there been any update on, um, on Jesse? Has anybody heard anything about Jesse's status? Zero. As far as I know, he's still in the rehab program. Heard nothing. And we don't know how long that's scheduled to last or anything like that? I mean, my assumption is it's like any other kind of rehab program. It's as long as it needs to. No. I don't, I don't okay. know. 
And the other question that came out of all of this that dawned on me when we were realizing that Dallas wasn't going to play again and we have no real concept of when they may play their next game. I mean, it could it'll I guess we could safely say it's going to be sometime in mid-August at the earliest. Is it possible that we are facing a scenario where we will never see Reggie Kennan play for FC Dallas again? Very, very possible. Uh, you know, the next window um, opens up in mid-August, you know, and that's for the, the teams that are going to go into their um, new European seasons. You know, they're starting up like just a couple of weeks after they finish, uh, I'm pretty sure. So they're going to move quick once those windows open. You know, now they're not exactly the same as the MLS, and the window that matters is the incoming window. So, like, it's not the MLS outgoing window that matters. It's, there is no such thing. It's only incoming windows. So the minute that all those European windows open up, which is going to be, as we say, mid-August, because they're starting at the end of August, right? So um, I think that he's gone. I, I hear about multiple teams interested from Germany. I've mentioned a couple of them on Twitter. Um uh, if I remember correctly, Stuttgart and Freiburg were the two that I've men- seen mentioned. And then someone has mentioned Andelect, which I think is Belgium. And somebody else mentioned Portugal, and I can't add any validity to those. But um, that's the enough. The entire sm- country of Portugal is no, interested por- in No, teams in Portugal. I, oh, I abbreviated oh. it. Just, you know. no, it's Portugal <laughs> yeah, they want him to slot in behind Cristiano Ronaldo on the right. Yeah, they're slot for Nani. Um, <laughs> I didn't know international yeah. <laughs> national teams could uh, could recruit players that way. That's Tom, a new twist. Thomas Julie says you can. Um, <laughs> so does David Regie. Uh That's an old school reference for you. Um, Boy, are those old school references. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on to back on to Reggie. Um, yeah, I mean, he wants to go. Uh, I have found out some sort of vague numbers on his contract. His one right now is, you know, the most players you need to leak it eventually. So I can just tell, comfortably tell you that it's around 120 now, 120K. But next year it explodes up to like 500-ish territory. So you can see what we meant about incentive-laden contract for the team to get rid of him. I mean, hold on a second, hold on a second. Yeah. I just want to point out, we're talking about $120,000 blowing up, to use Buzz's phrase, to yeah. five, $500,000. And this week... Pat Mahomes signed yeah. a deal for literally over five hundred million dollars over the course of well, you know, context. <laughs> this is an FC Dallas show. We're talking about I FC know, Dallas. Yeah. I know. So you it's know that's funny. that's that's Paxton Jesus territory, which is fine for Reggie, except that you're talking about a right back, and so in the in the budgetary ways you build MLS franchises, right backs don't get paid that kind of money. So you can see what we always said about it being an incentive laden contract in order for the club to move him. So. Um, there's no question this summer is the, the, when he's going, you know, it's just a question of which team and, and, and when it's going to happen. And, and so I actually agree with you, Peter, when you first proposed this question that, yes, I think we've seen the last game Reggie Cannon will play for FC Dallas. Man, that's a bummer. Yeah. I mean, maybe he makes it through the winter, but I don't think so. I mean, this is, this is when you go, right. It was when the right, European yeah. seasons are starting up, you know, so, well, there's also a long window. It looks like uh, it opens July 26th, and UEFA is trying to have every country close on October 5th. There's, yeah, but uh, they'll want him what? before the season starts, you would think, right? So depends. Yeah. I mean, depends. And they don't want him hurt and all that stuff. It, yeah. it depends, you know, how the seasons get pushed in Europe, how late they go, and um, that closure is typically lined up with uh, continental competition. So. You know, you got to think that 
the UEFA themselves are trying to push push leagues and, and their own competitions back a little if that's the date they're putting. Well, then we should say it this way. If there's a chance that Reggie will play for the club again, you better get your ass out to the stadium to watch him because it's not going to be that many more times you're going to yeah. get to watch him if you get to ever see him in a shirt, a Dallas shirt again. Yeah. So just put a pin in that and keep that in mind as we get into August in the in the transfer window. Um, okay, then moving back here uh, into the Dallas area and the USL team, North Texas, is supposed to start on July the 18th, but there's yep. some news on that as well? Well, it's not news. It's just some rumors floating around that, uh, that Dallas may, North Texas Soccer Club may start a few weeks later, um, you know, just because, and, and have a couple of buys at the front maybe, just because, and the rumors could just be people can just conjecturing for all I know, conjecturing, conjecturing for all I know, based on the COVID situation in Texas, you know, I mean, do teams want to come down here and play a game? So, um, you know, the USL is going to kick off and maybe Dallas, maybe North Texas will go on the road a little bit early. Um, the one fun thing for us, of course, being gigantic kit nerds is that the North Texas soccer club is getting a new home Jersey this year. Um, it'll still be predominantly red. The, they're going to keep the same white road jerseys because the idea is that they're going to be on the same loop as the first team, which has a new one this year, first for primary, and has a new secondary next year. So um, that's fun for us kit nerds. I can't wait to see what they do, see if hopefully something good. Um, and hopefully the, that team gets going pretty quick. I, you know, there are some questions about how much intermingling was going on with FC Dallas and North Texas from the pictures and the B-roll that FC Dallas has made available. There's not been any, like I've not seen any FC Dallas players popping up or North Texas in the other way in each other's training since the COVID thing started. That's been that crossover has been ground to a halt. Now North Texas SC has used academy players. I, I know of Seth Wilson, Antonio Carrera, and Justin Che are three examples of players I know that have te- played and trained with North Texas during the summer. So, um, but no FC Dallas crossover that I know of. Okay. Well, I think the big problem you've got is, you know, FC Dallas comes back and suddenly Thomas Roberts, Dante Seeley, all those guys, you know, go resume their loans and, and then you have got a crof- crossover afterwards. Uh, yeah. Unless unless USL protocols have something built in because theirs were incredibly vague. Well, by the time they leave Orlando, they're going to be in lockdown for two weeks and so they should be fine, <laughs> theoretically. <laughs> Um, you know, Buzz, I'm glad you brought this up, and I and this kind of uh, ties into uh, me throwing in the the news about the Patrick Mahomes contract, which was uh, you tweeted something a couple of days ago as a reaction to the news that, and I and you weren't specific as to what team this was or what player it was, and I'm wondering if it was maybe the idea that you know somebody's going to try to chase Messi or something. Uh, for a major league soccer team, but you you essentially were saying that you were hearing that some major league soccer team was talking about paying some player, yeah, you know, uh, uh, you know, ten plus million dollars a year or something like that. Not in not as a transfer fee, but as an actual salary. Yeah, and you're you know, and 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 you're here. We are you know, following around the Hunt family, <laughs> uh, which you know we have to be honest. This is a really weird week for the Hunt family because not only did they have to take their major league soccer team out of the tournament and essentially you know put them in mothballs for several weeks 
literally within the same 24 hours, they just signed the most expensive contract in global sports history. Like nobody's ever paid an athlete this much money before ever. And of all people, it was the Hunt family that did that. And and it's just really, really hard to juxtapose all of those realities into the one and, and into the fact that this is actually the same in many ways, the same thing. Or maybe it's not the same thing. Maybe it's two very different things. Yeah, I, that was in the um, Inter-Miami Orlando City broadcast. They were talking about Orlando uh, Inter-Miami missing positions in the field and the kind of players they've been going after. And they they listed a couple of names. And one of the names said that person was asking for somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 to $14 million per season. Now, I can't talk about the validity of said story. All I know was like when I'm sitting there listening to that story, I cried a little on the inside because we know the hunts are never paying that kind of money for soccer. And you're right. It was the exact same time that they're playing. They agreed to pay Mahomes 40 million a year for 12 years, you know? So there's plenty of money there. Obviously the chiefs and the uh, generate revenue far, far beyond FC Dallas. And the joke was that Mahomes will easily be able to buy FC Dallas if he wants to <laughs> with that contract. But uh, it is uh, on one level, I do appreciate that the hunts have chosen to not run FC Dallas at a deficit to not lose crazy, crazy, crazy amounts of money. I I get that it's their money and it's their business. Um, Do I wish they would play at a deeper part of the pool? Oh yeah, for sure. Now I don't expect them to go 13 million a season. That wasn't my point, but it'd be nice to see, you know, one or two would be, I mean, we've, we've only seen one happen once or twice at all. Right. So, I mean, two would be great. Five would be great. Imagine the kind of, imagine what Oscar would have done if you would bought a $5 million striker and slapped him in the middle of that. Line. Oh, they would have won MLS cup and they would have won, won no it three doubt. or four times, you yeah. know, but let yeah. me ask you a question. If you, if you could, if you could say, um, and, and we'll just kind of figure this out. We'll say, uh, is it Toronto has the biggest, you know, total number and Atlanta's probably somewhere in there. Yeah. And there are two parts of this, right? It's not just the amount of your salary wage budget. It's also what you're willing to pay in transfer fees. It's, and maybe the transfer fees is a bigger uh, issue in this than the salary. I don't know. But if you were to kind of tear all the teams out and you consider Dallas to be somewhere right in the middle now, what team, Buzz or Dan, would you most, and we'll start with Buzz, which one would you most, would you say, all right, if you could at least get Dan and Clark to get to this team's level of spending, I'd be happy and I would stop bitching about it. Mm. If you could get me to like the Portland, Seattle reign, I don't need what? to be LAFC or Atlanta or... Well, Portland and Seattle, there's a pretty big gap between Portland and Seattle. Yeah, but if you get me in that gap... You know, okay. if you can go out and get some Diego Valeri's, you know, you know, go out and get me a Rui Diaz. I mean, that's I might be pretty happy with some of that, you know. I mean, and maybe that's what Frank O'Hara is. Maybe we're about to see that. That'd be pretty exciting. Right. No okay. transfer fee, Dang. but, you know. Yeah. It pays Mori. off when you're part of the Illuminati and you know the COVID pandemic's going to happen yeah. and the economy's going to crash. Give me Funus Mori, I'll be happy. All right. What about you, Dano? Hmm. Um, I mean, really, just... Were you napping? Did I just wake you up out of a tender slumber? No. Oh, okay. You sound like you woke up. He was thinking. Oh, I was sorry. deep in thought. I was oh, actually... Okay. I was I was trying to pull up one of uh, 
Steve Finn's uh, salary visualizations, but for some oh, reason I pulled up. Those are so awesome. I love those things. <laughs> oh I could look at those all day. I don't know how he uh, does that. Those are so I accidentally cool. pulled up 2013, so I was like, why is Robbie Keane on this? <laughs> <laughs> Hell, you'd take Robbie Keane, wouldn't you? <laughs> Still at 40 years old. Oof. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, top third would be great. Just one of those, like like Portland. Portland's a perfect example of a team that can bring in a difference maker when, when they need to. Um, you know, whether it's uh, like uh, Blanco or just, you know, when they, let's say they, they nearly lost Valeri. He, he re-signed the deal in the end, but... They knew they had the money that if they needed to, they could go out and and bring in their next playmaker. FC Dallas, it's oh no, Paxton or Jesus or someone significant's gone. Guess we'll just sit around for a couple of years. Pablo Rodriguez is available. Oh my God, please! And he'll still be available. <laughs> Sorry, he's not that good, Buzz. No, he's not. I know he's not. I'd just like to tease you. Hey, he had an amazing 20 minutes once. He didn't produce a, a key pass or anything useful, but an amazing 20 minutes. <laughs> Stop it. Ugh, you make me angry. I know. Um, all right. Well, I just wondered uh, how you felt about that, because I, I do think that is one great I- oddity of this last seven or ten days is is all of us kind of kicking our feet in the sand and moping about you know our ownership group when the same... <laughs> And again, I, you know, to be fair, the, the, the group that runs the Kansas City Chiefs is not the same group of people necessarily that run FC. I mean, it's the same family, but they're two different organizations now. Dan and Clark own FC Dallas, and it's not the same structure that it that operates uh, the Chiefs, as I understand it. I think I'm correct in saying that, and I apologize if I've uh, if I've misstated that. But you're correct. Uh, um, you know, it is two very different businesses and two very different bank accounts and all of that stuff. It just it is pretty crazy. That's for sure. And one actually makes money. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean that you know they'll they'll it, there are two different ways to look at that giant contract, and there is certainly a a bunch of people that think Pat Mahomes just you know walked away with the best contract ever, and there's a lot of people out there that make the case that the Hunt family just pulled off one of the greatest contract coups ever, and that this contract actually favors them, and Pat Mahomes uh, did them a favor in many uh, many ways, and uh, the way that they structured this deal. So. Um, I, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't know enough about it to, to really say definitively, but by all accounts, both sides are very, very happy with that deal and, and kudos to them. I hope it works out because that's a really good kid. They just signed for a lot of money for a very long time and he's obviously already won a Super Bowl. So, um, uh, you know, that's a cool story all the way around and I'm, and I'm happy for everybody involved. Yeah. My thought when I saw his contract was, I wonder if he'd wear some FC Dallas gear if you gave it to him. <laughs> well, there there is some bad news on that contract. He is prohibited from doing pretty much any physical activity other than, you know, for the Chiefs. So he won't be taking a halftime penalty kick at Toyota Stadium anytime yeah. soon. Well, I wonder if they freaked out because I uh, somebody on the ticket was saying that the other day. Or no, maybe you know what it was. It was it, Dan told this story uh, when he called in. He said that. Uh, there were some kids holding a basketball camp in the Kansas City area, and he showed up and and uh, shot baskets with them. 
Um, uh, you know, and it was like five days after he had signed his deal or something like well, that. Well, Dan, didn't they open the Dan Hunt press conference this week with a no Chiefs questions? Rule? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very specifically. Yeah. And all the, uh, all the local mainstream guys were like, ah, crap, and signed out. Yeah, there was zero chance I was going to get Dan Hunt booked on the hard line, and and Corby was not going to ask him questions about Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. So it was, I'm, you know, it wasn't, it didn't go set or anything like that. It wasn't asked that we wouldn't, but there was zero chance. It was a bit of a trade off. We'll we'll talk a little FC Dallas, but you gotta you gotta be willing to uh, talk a little uh, Kansas City Chiefs and Super Bowl stuff with us too. And Dan was great. He was very nice to do it. He actually told a very very funny story that I'll share here. Um, he, you know. Corby and the guys in the show are, are fascinated by the Hunt family bunker that uh, exists at Arrowhead. I don't know if you guys know about this, but there's... Oh, a, the apartment on top of the yeah. stadium. Yeah, there's an apartment that the Hunts, you know, uh, they essentially live in it, uh, you know, in football season. And Dan was talking about the fact that one of the cool things that he got, he grew up getting to do was after uh, a game that night, they, you know, long after everybody's left, they all go out and they play football on the Arrowhead uh, field uh, as a family and you know friends and stuff and he said they were doing it last year and there was a quote major injury uh, on the field and it turned out to be some friends of his some friend of his and we were like well how did he get hurt and he's this is awesome he was trying to kick a field goal uh, that was equal to his age and he blew his knee out not Dan this friend mm-hmm and trying to kick a field goal at Arrowhead um, that was equal to his age. Now, I don't know how you blow your knee out trying to kick a field goal, but the guy did, uh, and it was a pretty funny story the way Dan told it. Huh? I guess, yeah, maybe. Or maybe you plant, yeah, when you land or something. I don't know, but uh, it was, was, I guess, believe it or not, Dan told it better than I did. Um, So kudos to him. Um, All right. Have I ever told my Corby Davidson story on on this podcast? No, what's your Corby Davidson story? Well, it's not a particularly specific story, just that he and I went to the same elementary school and we were on the same Little League baseball team together. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. Did you did he did you like wipe him out at, at first base or anything? Oh no, like that? He, he was good and I'm terrible. So <laughs> yeah. He did all the good things and, and was a good fielder and good hitter and I was awful. So Goofy Corby. Yeah. All right. Um let's see. Oh, and uh, Buzz, you had one more thing you wanted to throw out there. You were tweeting today that there's somebody in the academy yeah. that's getting some interest overseas. Yeah, Seth Wilson, who's the um U nineteen goalkeeper, or he was up until a month ago. He's now graduated. He is uh previously committed to Clemson, um, but he went to Austria, um Vienna or Wien or however you pronounce that, the Austrian club. He went over there for a little Fien. trial. Huh? Veen. Veen. There you go. Astro Veen. And uh, a little trial earlier, pre, pre-COVID lockdowns. And now um, Real Betis, Real Betis, Real Betis, however you want to pronounce that, um, they're sending over a first-team coach, first-team goalkeeper coach is coming here to work with him for five days on an extended five-day training tryout. So that's a significant level of interest. But um, I wanted to bring it up, number one, to – talk about Seth Wilson, who I have admired for a couple of seasons now, and I think is a, obviously a future pro. Um, but he underlines, uh, this interest underlines for me, again, the one failure in the FC Dallas current system, which is overall phenomenal, their academy to first team system. And that's the the tier right below your homegrown Seth Wilson's, their, uh, your homegrown Tanner Testaments. They're getting the very best guys 
who are ready for MLS at 18. And then they're getting what I would call the tier three guys, which are the dudes that are pretty good and maybe have a shot to be a pro, but, and, but college isn't right for them either. They're getting those guys, but the ones they're missing, there's been like five of them this year that are guys that are not ready right this minute for major league soccer, but they're way too good to be wasting their time in college. And that's Seth Wilson, Kevin Benilla, Nico Carrera, it's Jonathan Gonzalez. It's probably Johan Gonzalez. Gomez, excuse me, Jonathan Gomez and Johan Gomez. There's a chunk of like five guys that just came out of the academy that have zero interest in a North Texas contract because even though college is not right for them, it's still better than a free ride. A free scholarship is better than a $20,000 North Texas contract. So they're not interested. And so FC Dallas is missing out on these guys who can't help them this minute, but they're the dudes who could be 10, 15 year professionals in major league soccer that you're going to miss out on because they weren't ready right, like right this minute. So okay. there's a gap. I, I, yeah, no. And you're, and this is such an interesting part of the conversation buzz because I, you know, it's not like FC Dallas and the Hunt family are uh, offering less money for USL1 contracts than other USL1 teams. I right. mean, they're pretty much on par with everybody else. And so I, I have to assume at some point when they were structuring or planning all this out that they knew this going into it. So is the is the is the problem that they've just been more successful and growing a better tier of player than they realized at the time. I think does it's, that make does my question yeah, make sense? Yeah, it's partially the the quality of the player in the sense that they're producing more of this middle tier pro that are getting sniffs from middle European leagues and teams, and they're getting sniffs from other professional teams in the United States like. Um, Joe Go, uh, Jonathan Gomez, he signed with Louisville City. You know, he's only 16 years old and signed with another pro team in the United States. So it's a combination of those two things. And uh, I think they uh, perhaps underestimated the attraction of the pro North Texas training environment, you know, mixed in with your, the, the chances to go and train with FC Dallas some. And, and the promise that, or not not even the real promise, the potential promise that that contract becomes a homegrown contract. So there, there's been a failure to convince guys that that connection exists, you know, that the peppy path is real, even though we all know it's not, that one wasn't, you know. Carlos Avales is the first player to go from North Texas to the first team, really. And that only happened because Jesse Gonzalez had his problem. So, you know, there's a and then lack you've got of... Tom, and then you've got Thomas Roberts, who has played so few minutes on yeah. the senior level. You don't want to be him either. Right. You know, he spends all of his time with North Texas, and Evan Sorrell is going to spend all his time with North Texas. But at least those two guys are making 100K. Whereas if you sign with North Texas directly, you get 20. Right? It's like, dude, a college scholarship is worth 50 a year for four years. Why would I take 20 at the least? Yeah. Yeah. I I was being conservative on a cheap school. You know, if you, if it's an, if it's Stanford, you know, I mean, right. So it's like, or it's like, here's a chance to join somebody else's U 20 team in Europe where they actually pay you. Or in the case of Wilson, apparently it's a first team goalkeeper coach that's coming to look at him. He might get a legit pro offer that SC Dallas is not willing to give him. So you don't blame these kids. It's not on them. You know, it's in the end, FC Dallas is going to have to figure out how much money are we losing by not signing these five kids just this year alone, for example, versus what it would have cost us 
to give them all homegrown level contracts. It doesn't have to be a homegrown contract. It could have been homegrown pay, you know? Right. You know, or it could have been homegrown that you loan them, whatever it but is. They couldn't, but, but, but even if they were willing to pay 150, I'm just making a number up, uh, yeah. $200,000 to make a round number. And they can't sign all these kids to $200,000 homegrown contracts. There's a limit to however many homegrown deals you can do, right? Or is uh, it there's only so you can sign as many of those deals, you just can't put them on your MLS senior roster. Yeah, the MLS senior roster is li- list limited to 10 of those. You know, but you can already, sign 20 of them, but 10 of them just don't play on the senior Yeah, team. well, and th- and that 10 is already full on FC Dallas. No, no, that's what I'm that's what I'm yeah. saying. I'm just saying there's no limit to the number of homegrowns you can no. sign. There's just a limit to how many of them you can apply to your MLS roster. Right, cuz FC Dallas already carries more than that. They they right. have guys on loan that that are actually on their senior that have been signed to FC Dallas and they're just yeah. out. So, you know, they could have signed all five guys to homegrown deals and just signed them all to North and then loan them all to North Texas or just Give them a contract with North Texas with the same amount of money because then they might have taken it. You know, if, if you're gonna, like, oh, great, if you're gonna give me 100, 200K, now we're talking. Now I'll pass right. up college, right? So, you know, I don't blame the kids. And I also don't blame the Hunts for saying, I don't want to run North Texas at a $2 million loss. No, no. You know? I mean, it's it, I mean, it's almost a no-win situation. In some right. ways, it kind of re- it kind of pulls the curtain back as to why it took them so long to turn that team on in the first place yeah. because there's not a scenario you can really imagine where that thing does anything other than lose money. Yeah. But that's the trick is like, there's, there's, it's, it's 90% amazing. You know, we're getting all these amazing kids coming through North Texas, uh, FC Dallas. They're going to help the national team. And we're getting these other kids that we're developing that are maybe going to go USL. Maybe one of them will pop up. There's just this one little gap, one little talent gap, the tier two talent gap that they're right now. They're not, they're not firing on. And, and I don't necessarily have a solution right now. It just, well, I'm excited for Seth Wilson. It just underlines this one little problem. Is the solution that those kids are good enough that they get purchased by USL championship teams? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what Jonathan Gomez did. Jogo. Right. Yeah. And, and the club, and they may not be multi-million dollar deals. They may be deals for six figures or something, but it's right. a profit to FC Dallas. Well, that's and maybe why. they sell them to Scandinavian countries yeah. or lower divisions in European countries. That's why Arturo Rodriguez is at Real Salt Lake Monarchs. And that's why Breck um, Evans is at, in Austin Bold. And that's why they had a deal lined up to send um, Damus to, uh, I think it was Finland team that fell apart at the last minute. And he chose to stay basically. But um you know, they're trying to make those guys, they're trying to make North Texas a viable path to a pro career through other avenues than just FC Dallas. It just hasn't, it's not there yet. And people aren't buying in hundred percent and the money is still a problem. So, um, you know, it'll take some time, but it's just, you know, it's clear there's still a little bit of an issue in terms of that missed opportunity, let's call it, because it's possible these guys could become legit big time pros and maybe worth a lot of money eventually relatively speaking and they're missing them completely because they're going uh and and maybe one or both of you know the answer to this and i apologize if you said it already and i just missed it or wasn't paying attention if and when uh north texas starts back up at globe life park in july will they be allowed to do any fans in attendance per the governor's allowance for like 50% stadium you know capacity since they were never going to breach that or come close to it to begin with yeah, I, I believe so. I believe USL is talking about having some amount of fans in stadiums. You know, I don't think with the USL, I don't think anything's written in stone yet. They still haven't even announced the schedules yet. So don't don't take it. Take all of it with a grain of salt. So we'll see. But I yeah. think so. Yeah, I think fans is the plan. 
I was going to say, uh, if there's one big shift out of all of this that's taken place is the odds of me going to a North Texas game at Globe Life Park were relatively low. And now I'm thinking I may, actually, I may go to one now because yeah. so, uh, it may be the only game in town for, for a period of time. So yeah. I guess we'll have to keep our eye on that. All right. Um, well, thank you uh, to both of you. Danny in particular, thank you for your time. Anything else you'd like to throw out there to the, uh, the listenership of the pod? Uh, yeah, uh, Dan Hunt, Lucha Gonzalez, uh, would it be possible to borrow Paxton, Pomacon, and Reggie Cannon for a few games uh, in, in Luton? That'd be great, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> would that solve two positional problems for Luton Town? Actually, throw in Ryan Holland's head as well. We need a, we need, we need a left-back like, uh, like anything. Oh, yeah, he's the Luton's- other person that went off today. Ryan Holland said that was the one. On Twitter. Went on. Oh, you. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. 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 It was. Uh, it was uh, Jimmy. It was the trainer, and it was uh, Ryan, Ryan that yeah. went all. Yeah. Went all. Yeah. Um, uh, Dan, what? I, help me out here. What is Luton's team's nickname? Do you guys have a nickname like the the Mastiffs or Sailing Ships Hatters. or the Hatters? I knew that the one. Hatters. Uh, is that we... because you had a, a, a fabridashery or something going on in? <laughs> Uh, in the 18th and 19th century, uh, Luton was the like hat-making capital of uh, the UK. You guys so, and, everybody, and everybody was mad because they were yeah. all made with mercury, right? Mad as a hatter, yeah. No, it was actually all straw, uh, straw boaters. So the, the alternate nickname back in the day was the straw platters. Um, <laughs> That's what was better. That is a lot yeah. better. Um, uh, you know, it's it's kind of the funny thing about American sports how teams are just given these absolute random nicknames. Like the the rugby team coming to Dallas is called the Jackals, and like, I've never seen a fucking jackal in Dallas. Um, <laughs> you know, and in, in in Europe, it's you know what was the primary industry or something in a right. place. Yeah. Well, we used to yeah, be like that. that. Sense. Like the Brooklyn Trolley Dodgers. Yeah, a long time ago. Which we're now in Los so, Angeles. Out of this story, Buzz, what I've gotten yeah. is a mental image that in some uh, Dan, in some crook family home, there's a, a wall of really, really old tin black and white photos with a bunch of guys that somewhat look like Dan with all these crazy hats on. Straw that's, hats. That's, yeah. Not just straw. Yeah, all different kinds of hats, like yeah. over generationally, right? And just like different guys that look <laughs> a whole lot like Dan in different shapes and sizes, all with crazy crazy effing hats on that's that's what's going on in my head i'm um, hoping next sorry time to home, break it to you but that, that that doesn't exist you say that but i yeah. wonder if it's so true. but i will send you a picture that i'm pretty sure may end up being the uh the cover if you really want to go with that joke yeah let's do it what the pod the pod the pod yeah. photo yeah oh yeah we're all about the bits yeah send it we love bits are fun dan you know that <laughs> Bits are fun. All right. Well, uh, thank you again, Dan. You're always a source of information and great humor, and I appreciate that about you, my friend. You're welcome. And Buzz, uh, man, I hope uh, I hope you're doing okay. I, mean, I know you were all revved up and ready yeah. to go for MLS is back, and now the wind's been taken out of your sails. So, yeah, I could have used some distraction, and uh, I'm not going to get it as much as I liked, but um, you know. I'll still have some soccer to watch, and and things are looking up for all my stuff I've hinted about is getting better. So we're good. 
why don't you do this? Why don't you like why don't you list on a on individual pieces of paper all of the teams that are still in the tournament and do a blind draw and that's the team you get to support and you can cover them and write about them no, in the meantime. I already picked I'm going with Orlando for Poppy. Good for you. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to write guess. about them, but I'm going to watch their games and cheer for them cuz uh, Oscar's a wonderful wonderful man and uh, a friend and he I'm going to cheer for him. Yeah. And I also look forward to your uh, game reviews of Nani. That's something I would now mm. look forward to. Yeah. Interestingly, hey, if, you, if you subscribe to the pod, uh, to their Patreon, maybe there'll be some Orlando City content. Who knows? <laughs> no, no, that, nobody's <laughs> paying me for that. I'm just picked a team to watch, and that seemed like a good one because Orlando and Poppy, yeah. you know, yeah. to keep All me right. in, uh, involved. Well, hopefully uh, Dom Dwyer doesn't kill somebody. Oh, All my right. gosh. Yeah, Dirty yeah. Dom. Uh, I love that guy. Yeah, that guy. Uh, well, player. listen. All right. Well, uh, did you say proper player? Yeah. He gets stuck in, I guess, or something. I like Dom Dwyer. I would take him at FC Dallas in a heartbeat. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Well, uh, really another terrible dismount on my part. My apologies. All right. Dan and Buzz, thank you so much. We will, uh, I appreciate your time. And thank you, good FC Dallas Curious fan. We will speak to you next week, I suppose, on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Thomas Roberts. Thomas Roberts. <laughs>